Well, it's my privilege. I get to introduce Brendo, um, who, you know, Mr. Brendan is not just an incredible pastor, a bold evangelist, a gifted leader, but he's a dear friend, along with Charlotte, your beautiful wife, and now Elijah. Can't wait to see him grow up and become a prophet. It's going to be awesome. Um, Brendan joined Sovereign Grace while he was in another country. Uh, he was in Indonesia as a missionary in Aceh. Can I say that? The government may get him. Okay, um, he was a missionary in a place in a faraway world, uh, and he found out about Sovereign Grace and was planting in Sydney, and he wanted to get involved, so he was emailing back and forth with Dave, and eventually he left the mission field and joined the church, and you know they haven't been able to get rid of him since, and he's still here. Uh, it, Brendan joined in as an incredible you know, servant, leading young adults and making real community happen. He, he came on working for the church after finishing his Bible college degree or during that time. Brendan's probably worked more days unpaid than paid for the church. A great servant and um, a sacrificial man. And now he's a pastor ordained in the Warunga church that sent us out. Um, he works full-time basically for the church, but also as a physiotherapist, um, you know, where he massages people and takes their money. And it's great. It's, it's a great job. It's very flexible. Uh, but Brendan, I've loved seeing Brendan um, since we joined six or seven years ago develop as a man of God, as a pastor who really cares for the flock um, and is an incredible preacher and um, can bring it, you know, God's word. So why don't we welcome Brendan up as he preaches to us from John 4. Thanks, brother. so good to be with you guys this morning and it's like trip back in memory lane for me because when I when I visit you guys in this situation it reminds me of 10 years ago when we were gathering for the first time as a church plant when Noah was eight years old how cool is that the big difference is that where we were meeting we had this row of uh, the ghost of principles past like photos of old principles that when you'd stand in the front preaching would stare disapprovingly at you, so like, have I done well, sir? <laughs> that was kind of the, the sense of, of being part of the church. But one thing I remember, on the 5th of September, our very first service in 2010, we prayed for our first church plant, and we asked that God would use our church, our little church, little gathering, very, very similar to this, and that he would multiply it. And you guys are actually an answer to our prayer 10 years ago. And so this morning as we um, open up God's Word and, and look at a passage that's probably, if you've been following Jesus for a while, is very familiar to you, but I want to um, just allow us this morning to be refreshed with something familiar. Um, but I also want to pray for us as we um, launch into this Word as well, um, to pray not only that we would, would hear and receive this Word from God, but that God would take it and use it as part of His work to eventually send another church out of this church as well sometime in the future too. So would you join with me in praying? Lord God, we just want to thank you so much for your beautiful word, a word that's powerful, a word that speaks to us, a word that's alive and changes us. And Lord, just to be with these people here this morning, Lord, I just feel so privileged because it feels like going back in the past. I see what you are doing in this church as I remember what you did in our church all those years ago. And Lord, we pray that we would be receptive, Lord, and, and listen to your word, though it be a familiar word this morning. Lord, change us by this word. Help us to love Jesus even more, we pray, as we look at this word, Lord. And I pray the fruit of our 
adoration of the Lord Jesus, of your work in our hearts, would be ultimately the gospel continuing to go forward, even through, Lord willing, even more church planted out of this little local church, Lord, we pray. So, Lord, would you be with us? Would you help us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to um, share a little bit about myself um, and what happens in Wurunga. We've got a big heart to share the gospel with people in Wurunga. And one of the things that uh, we did is we kind of started a jogging group called Waitara Joggers. And every Friday morning we go out and we jog uh, through the really leafy um, neighborhoods of Wurunga. And one of the streets we go down is this street called Burns Road. And I don't know if you've ever been down Burns Road. It's like one of the premier streets of Warunga with these huge, beautiful trees that hang over, you know, as a canopy over the road, and these massive um, houses that kind of line the streets, like with frontages that are 50 to 100 meters maybe in length, huge, huge properties with multiple outhouses and things. And I kind of suffer from a bit of a, a vivid imagination, and so I often find myself jogging down this street and just let my imagination sort of run a little bit wild and sort of imagining myself living in some of these houses, right? Houses that would cost millions of dollars and just imagining myself there, you know, in, in an afternoon, perhaps after church with my butler Jeeves, you know. <laughs> Pass me a Scotch Jeeves, you know, something like that, and my cars, and just, you know, sort of imagining myself, you know, a little game of tennis after church, perhaps, on the lawn, or something like that. Um, have you ever found yourself, like, like, overcome by, like, some sort of deep desire? I mean, that's kind of a funny one, but, but, but some, some sort of desire that's kind of just captured your heart and, and, and is, is really grasping your attention and leaving you wanting something more in life. You know, uh, if only I could own a unit, even, in Sydney, you know, I'd be so happy. You know, if only I could be married... Like, that would be amazing. Um, maybe if you're married, if only I could be single. <laughs> no, we won't say that. Then I'd be happy. Um, if only we could have kids, you know, that would be amazing. If only my kids, like, could get into uni or get into the best school or something like that, that would be amazing. If only I could travel around Australia, you know, for a year and see everything, wouldn't that be amazing? If only I could just, like, travel around the world even, like, wouldn't that, then I would be happy and then I would be satisfied. If only I could retire up the coast, you know, with my little house on the beach, then I'd be happy. Or maybe if it's, it's something more personal, like, if only I could get rid of my back pain, then I'd be happy. You know, over the years, I've met loads of people that uh, have moved to Sydney from all around the world, and there's one thing that kind of unites them all, and that is that they come here with big dreams. They come here with big hopes and desires, uh, dreams for safety and security, dreams for uh, job or career opportunities, dreams for lifestyle change, a, a new and enjoyable lifestyle, or for education for themselves or for the future of their children. But have you ever noticed that no one gets that one thing that they want and says, I'm done. I'm done. I can now die in peace. I'll never want for anything else. No one ever says that. You know, an example that's kind of 
fading in my mind already because we're in February, um, is just the holidays that were passed recently. Um, we went up the coast. It was beautiful. But have you noticed in like a two-week holiday how it's great for the first week and then in the second week of the holiday, you begin thinking about all the responsibilities and things that are facing you in the, the, the very day you return to work and they begin to click through your mind and you think about the phone calls you're going to need to make and the emails and everything else and you can kind of feel kind of the holiday is already leaving you while you're even still on holidays as the reality of what awaits you back home begins to dawn upon you. Here's the question I want us to think about this morning. Where can we find true and lasting satisfaction? Well, if you're taking notes, uh, my message for us this morning is called Satisfaction Guaranteed. And I've got three uh, simple points, the points that come from the passage. Uh, the last point being a shorter sort of application point. But one real simple, simple hope for us this morning. And that is that God would freshly show us that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our heart. Um, that's where we're shooting. I want you guys to see. I believe it's, it's a straight from this passage that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our hearts. So I'm going to dive into uh, our first point uh, this morning, and I'm going to kind of read the passage as we go, um, kind of unpack it because it's a beautiful story. Um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to John uh, chapter 4, uh, John chapter 4. And um, I'm going to give you just a little bit of context uh, in our first point as we begin this story. Uh, Jesus had not long uh, prior to this begun his uh, ministry, and his fame was beginning to spread among the religious leaders in Judea, and he was getting more and more disciples. And he returns to his hometown in the far north, that is uh, Galilee, kind of the far north way above Jerusalem. And on his way home, back to his hometown, he passes through uh, this place called Samaria. So why don't you jump down and read with me from verse 3 of John chapter 4. It says, He, that's Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus comes into this town of Samaria called Sychar, Samaria being the district, and he's weary and he's thirsty. He's been walking all day, and it's the sixth hour of the day, which is noon, uh, about middle of the day. And he sits by this ancient well that had been dug by a man called Jacob, who's the grandson of Abraham. And we know that it was a deep well because it still exists to this day. And it taps into, this deep well taps into an underground spring of water that runs beneath it. Keep reading with me in the story. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So this local woman comes to draw water, and the whole situation immediately seems strange. 
Well, why does it seem strange? Well, she's alone for starters, which would be unusual because at the time, most women would travel with others for safety. Uh, it's the middle of the day. They're in the Middle East, and the practice is that you would go early in the morning or later in the afternoon to draw water because the middle of the day is the hottest part of the day. Uh, you would travel to avoid the heat. And because the disciples away, who would have normally drawn water for him, he asks this woman, and she can't believe that he's asking her. John explains literally in the text, it says, For Jews do not use dishes Samaritans have used. Uh, we kind of need to have a little bit of a history lesson to understand what was going on. You see, there was a long-standing conflict between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, it began nearly a thousand years earlier in Jerusalem when a king called Jeroboam I had taken half the nation of Israel and migrated north, forming a new kingdom, which would later be called Samaria. He also started his own kind of separate religion in the north. He made golden bulls and he put them in high places and made uh, altars for worship on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. In 722 BC, the Assyrians came and invaded as part of God's punishment. And what they did is they took all the noteworthy people into exile and they took a whole bunch of Assyrians and migrated them into Samaria and mixed them all together. But these new Assyrian exiles kind of had additional pagan religious practices which they intermingled with the existing religion. And the result is this kind of mixed racial people with a mixed religion. And the result was that these two different people hated each other deeply. So much so that 200 years earlier, the, the ruler of Judea at the time had even destroyed their temple on Mount Gerizim. And so, John, wanting us to understand this, says, Jews do not use dishes Samaritans have used. Such is the hatred between these two people. And here's Jesus sitting by this well, and he asks this peasant woman from a hated people to serve him water, and she can't believe that he's doing it. But this isn't an accident. This is a divine appointment. Jesus had a plan and a purpose for this woman. Read on in the story with me, verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus says, If you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for living water. You see, living water is actually, it kind of has a double meaning. Um, on the one hand, living water kind of means fresh water, water that's good for drinking. On the other hand, in the Old Testament, living water is a metaphor for the activity, the life-giving activity of God. Uh, in Jeremiah, uh, which is a, a, a prophet and a book in the Old Testament, God actually accuses his people of abandoning him and trying to do life on their own. And he says the following in Jeremiah 2.13. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God says, My people have rejected me, the limitless supply of life-giving power. 
More than that, they've made these broken water tanks for themselves that can't hold water at all. You see, living water is a powerful metaphor, a powerful image of the life-giving work of God. And it would have been so powerful in the Middle East where such a dry and barren land made water absolutely vital. But it's equally a powerful image and metaphor for us here in Sydney as well. You know, 2019 was our driest year on record. And, you know, just during the last summer with all the bushfires driving up north, you can't but help see even trees sagging because of the the little rainfall that had fallen uh, up until very recently. And just as the rains have reminded us, rain completely changes everything altogether. You know, rivers begin to run, and birds return, and flowers bloom, and activity bursts forth into the whole land. And it's a picture of what happens when God moves in a person's life. Dry, barren soil, a dry, barren soul springs forth into new life. And Jesus is offering this woman the life-giving work of God himself. But this woman has absolutely no idea. She doesn't get it at all. Read with me verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. You know, this Samaritan woman misses completely what Jesus is talking about, and she's not convinced at all about what he's saying. Actually, she gives him a bit of a scathing reply. Firstly, she says, you don't even have a bucket or a rope or anything, so how are you even going to draw water for me in the first place? But secondly, she asks a question that in the original language actually has a clear answer. Uh, Are you greater than our father Jacob? The implied answer is, because you ain't. But Jesus is completely unfazed by what she says. Read on with me in this story. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, this physical water will satisfy you for a bit, but it won't last. You'll be thirsty again. I'm offering you something different. I'm offering water that will turn into a fount within, a spring of water, a limitless supply of life-giving water. You see, Jesus is teaching us in this passage that there is a kind of satisfaction you can get from things in this life. There is a kind of satisfaction you can get from career, from relationships, from money, from property, from food, from holidays. All of these things can be satisfying. Jesus is not teaching that they don't satisfy. He's teaching that the satisfaction isn't deep and it doesn't last. Drink this water and you'll be thirsty again. And don't we know it? You only need to live long enough in this world to realize that's true. Careers, they become stale. Relationships, they become difficult and they sour. Money loses its glean and its appeal. Property wears out. 
holidays end. But Jesus offers something far greater, something that deeply satisfies. And here's where the Christians in the room, you know, we kind of need to be careful because these words are so familiar to us that they lose their meaning completely. Read with me again, verse 14, what Jesus says. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, I'm able to give you something that will end your thirst forever. My water, this spring, gives a limitless supply of life-giving water. Just like water onto dry ground completely transforms it, this water will turn into eternal life. Life that does not ever, ever end, that continues forever. I mean, think about it. Think about even just something small, a small number, a thousand years. A thousand years ago was the year 1020. It would be 46 years before the Normans would invade London, leading to the nation of England eventually, as we know it today. 46 years away. But a thousand years is a blip in eternity. A million years is a blip. A billion years is a blip. And this Samaritan woman's interest is piqued, but she still doesn't get it. Read with me verse 15. She says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I'd, I'd love not to be thirsty and have to come here to drink. Give me some of this water, she says to Jesus. And we read on. Keep reading with me in the story. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus asks her a simple question. He says, go and fetch your husband. And he gets the shortest of replies. You see, Jesus is hit on a nerve in this woman's life. And you can almost sense how uncomfortable she is with what he's asking of her. I don't have one. Her defenses are coming up. But she doesn't need to worry. Jesus knows her intimately and has come to this place for her. And his penetrating stare sees straight through her and he knows that she is a broken woman. She's been married five times previously already. Did these marriages end in divorce or death? We're not told, but currently... The one she is in, the relationship she is in, is an immoral one. And suddenly it makes sense why she's at the well alone in the middle of the day. She's avoiding people. She's a social outcast in a conservative society. But why does Jesus respond to a request for living water by first turning to her private life? Seems unusual, doesn't it? Seems odd, kind of seems out of place. What does her private life have to do 
with this living water? Well, the answer is because she's a deeply thirsty woman. But a thirst isn't immediately obvious. It's a hidden thirst. She has a thirst that's deeper than her daily thirst for water, a thirst that's led her to this well. She's looking for something in life. Some would call it happiness or satisfaction or contentment. But she's been looking in the wrong places. She's searching for something that is missing from her life, and she's drinking from the fount of relationships, and it's not been working, and she's drinking again and again and again. She's hoping that a relationship would satisfy her thirst, and she goes from one marriage to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and now possibly not being able to find a rabbi willing to marry her for a sixth time, finds herself sleeping with this man. And Jesus is exposing her true thirst, a thirst that no worldly fount seems able to satisfy. But here's the question that brings it home for us. What about for you? If, if, if you're honest with yourself, what are you thirsting for? What are, you, what are you telling yourself you need to be happy? A career? A relationship? An exam result? Property? A holiday? A spouse to change? Children to respect you? Jesus says... Whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. Well, you might be sitting here and thinking, well, how can Jesus even offer this living water that truly satisfies? How is that possible? How can he even do that? Well, to understand this, we kind of need to know why we feel this deep craving, this deep thirst in the first place. Uh, you see, the Bible teaches that all of our discontentment and brokenness in life comes from the brokenness in our relationship with God. And God is the eternal, loving, wise maker of the universe. He made everything that's in it. He created the world. He created mankind, humanity in His image as the pinnacle of that. And He placed us in the world to fulfill His purposes and enjoy rich relationship with Him, our maker. And the life of all people, therefore, is by design meant to be one of incredible dignity and incredible worth and incredible purpose and incredible joy. But we've rejected His plans and His rule and He's cursed the world as a kind of living picture of our brokenness. And so cut off from God and separated from Him, our hearts are filled with desire for something more in life, something greater than the rat race and every day, and yet nothing ever seems to fill it. Money doesn't fill it. Healthy living doesn't fill it. Relationships doesn't fill it. Travel doesn't fill it. Nothing ever fills the void in our heart because the emptiness comes from our God Himself. And we're not living for the purpose in which He's made us to live. And only He can fill that heart. And that's our point number one. 
a hidden thirst. This woman had a thirst that's deeper than the mere physical thirst. A thirst she was trying to fill in vain with relationships. A thirst that originated in her broken relationship with God. Well, not just point number one, a hidden thirst, but point number two, a searching father. Here's some great news for us this morning, Southern Grace Church of Parramatta. God hasn't left us alone to sort out this mess. He's, he's, he's come to us in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus, who we're going to keep reading about in verse 19. Jump down as the story continues. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You see, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. A Samaritan woman, after Jesus just like discloses a big part of her history, says like, whoa, okay, you seem to be like a prophet or something to know all this about me. And then she raises the obvious problem, the obvious obstacle. How are you going to be able to help me when we have this massive ethnic divide between us? Our ancestors said we need to worship God here. Your people say in Jerusalem, i.e. where I'm not welcome. Read on with me, verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, or perhaps better, Madam, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship our Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Jesus is saying, a time is coming when the place of worship won't even matter anymore. A big part of the divide between the Samaritans and the Jews was that they believed the temples at their different locations were the only true place you could worship God. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to do something that will make these temples irrelevant. You've been worshiping the God you don't really know, but a time is coming where these location squabbles won't even matter an hour is coming, says Jesus, when people will worship God in spirit and in truth. Okay, what on earth does that mean? But Jesus has actually been talking about it right from the beginning. Read with me again verse 14 of our passage. Jesus says this. He says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water filling up to eternal life. The water that I will give to the person who comes to me, says Jesus, will become a fount of water, a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. But remember the passage that we read before in Jeremiah 2.13, where God says to his people, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Remember that passage? God is the fountain of living water. The living water Jesus is offering that will become a fountain in the one who drinks it, 
The living water that Jesus is offering to this Samaritan woman is God himself in the one who drinks it. The gift of the Holy Spirit, God himself dwelling within the one who believes. And that is why Jesus says to this woman that she won't need to go to a certain place to meet God. A time is coming when God will make his home inside man himself. It's an amazing promise. The deep desires we feel for something more in life, that we're separated from the purposes that God has for us. After a millennia, after millennia, after millennia, God is promising something more than just even just reconciliation, like being on good terms. He's promising union with God himself, to join himself to his people in a way that he's never done before. I think it's something we're so familiar with, we just completely gloss over that truth. You know, just just pause a moment with me to consider about the universe that we live in. Uh, William Blair, an astrophysicist uh, who I believe is currently at MIT in in the US, um, he does a little bit of an illustration to help you get your head around how big this universe that we're part of is. Uh, The distance from the Earth to the Sun, it's 150 million kilometers, okay? So imagine going 150 k's north, maybe that's like, what, tea gardens or something like that? Um, So imagine going back and forth, like, well, going up there to tea gardens a million times, right? So that's that's a lot of petrol, (laughs) Uh, a lot of wear on your car, right? 150 million kilometers. Now, okay, you got that? Imagine that distance is represented by the thickness of this piece of paper. All right? This thickness here, like less than a millimeter. Our galaxy, the Milky Way that we live in, is 100,000 light years across. If you were to represent that in pieces of paper, each representing 150 million kilometers, the distance between the Earth and the Sun each, you're looking at a stack of paper 500 kilometers high. Now, here's the, where it gets even more staggering. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, is one of some 50 billion known galaxies in the universe. <laughs> here's the reality. We are infinitely small flecks of dust, standing on a fleck of dust, traveling through the vast universe. And the God who made it all is offering to dwell in you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that, like, incredible what Jesus is saying here? But here's the obvious question. I mean, how is that even possible? Like, think with me for a moment. Right? God can't just dwell with man. We're broken and defiled. We don't love God or trust God like we should. We've betrayed God, and we've been living for our own pleasure and not for His. I mean, think about this rationally, right? If you had a friend who, who was in a relationship where they were exploited by the other person, that, and, you know, where they never paid attention to them, but mistreated them and, and really abused them and took them for granted, and they were saying to you, uh, we're going to move in together, you, you would never encourage that. Now think for a moment, we're talking about 
the living God coming to dwell in us. How is that even possible? This is the God of the universe who made everything. We deserve punishment. Well, a clue is found in verse 21. In verse 21, Jesus says, Madam, believe me, the hour is coming. In every instance in John's gospel, the hour refers to the hour of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And that's exactly what he'd come to do. He had come to give his life as a ransom for many. He had come to make his way to the cross, to to be horribly mocked and beaten and tortured and mistreated, to hang on that cross and spill his blood and endure the wrath of God for our brokenness and sin in full, in our place. That's how it's possible. As Jesus said, the hour is coming when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The time is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship God Not at some special place, but by the Holy Spirit and according to the work of Jesus. But it gets even better. It's not like Jesus makes a way for us and then we have to find our way back to God on our own. No, read with me again. Verse 23 says this. It says, But the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Isn't that great news? God is actively looking for people to worship him. That's amazing. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing right here in our story. He's here with this poor Samaritan peasant woman who had messed up her life, and he's here to rescue her. This is the incarnate word of God that John writes in John 1.14, the word of God that became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as a the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is God become man for us. He's on the greatest rescue mission the world has ever seen to reconnect us to God. And that's why he can offer this living water to us. And she's so affected by this conversation that she leaves in such a hurry that she forgets her water jar completely and starts telling the whole town about Jesus. Friends, do you realize that God is still actively working today, searching for people to worship Him? There's no accidents with God. That's why we're all sitting here today. Whether we're a follower of Christ or a neighbor invited us along, it doesn't matter. You're here because the Father is seeking true worshipers. He's seeking you. Well, in summary... Point one, a hidden thirst. The woman at the well had this thirst that was deeper than the mere physical. She was thirsting for reconciliation with God, though she couldn't see it. And secondly, not just a hidden thirst, but a seeking father. The Lord Jesus is God, the Son, incarnate, sent to die and rise, that the Father could seek out true worshipers, including us. Finally, point number three, to finish, 
by way of application, drinking from the fountain. Here's the question I, I want to think about, is how do you actually drink from this living fount that Jesus is offering? How do you actually do it? Well, in some ways, it's really simple. Um, Jesus says it himself in verse 10. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. In many ways, it's so simple. It's simply by asking asking him. But I wanted to kind of tease it out a little bit more for us this morning by dealing with two different groups of people. First of all, for those of us here who are following Jesus. You know, for a follower of Jesus and listening to this morning's message, it's really, like I've been saying, it's a familiar message, but one I really believe we, we really need to hear all the time because we're so prone to forget it and disbelieve it. And I think the way in which we really drink from the fount of living water is kind of twofold. And the first way is simply by pausing to remember. It's spending some time just to remember that He has given us an eternal spring within. Think about the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit, of the living God that dwells within you, pouring out living water, affecting not only your own heart and life, but like that fount overflows and affecting those that you're in community with as well. Like, if you're trusting in Jesus, that is the reality of your life. The most amazing privilege but secondly, not just pausing to remember that he's given us that eternal spring, but drinking regularly from his living water. And, and this for me is like where the daily battle uh, really begins. You know, um, a, a few weeks ago, uh, one of the guys in our church, uh, Simon Walker, gave a great message just about how the Bible is like something that revives the soul, like water on the soul, and, and was talking about different ways in which we can enjoy reading the Scripture, like through prayer as well, and, and through worshipping the Lord Jesus. These are just some of the ways in which we can drink from the fount by looking for satisfaction from Christ. But if we're honest, we often drink from other things first before we come to drink from the fount of living water. You know, just this year, I've just found myself facing a temptation personally that I felt really convicted because I noticed that when I'm tired, you know, Christ isn't where I turn for rest and for satisfaction. And I've been finding myself increasingly uh, drawn to other things like uh, what my weakness is, like I'm obsessed with random trivia, so like I... YouTube, like really random YouTube, like documentary things. And um, um, Rich is laughing because he knows. Uh, and, uh, and so does Riley. Uh, uh, Netflix, just, and just constantly watching Netflix. Or the Sydney Morning Herald, um, just falling for the clickbait every time. Um, and just filling my mind with other things. And these are all good things, right? But they're entertaining, but they don't satisfy like Christ can. And when we just 
turn to stuff like that, you know, for our rest, we're, we're selling ourselves short. We've got the God of the universe dwelling within us. Here's a question I, I want you guys just to just pause and think about, and maybe even during the week, um, you can talk to each other about it, and that is this. When you're tired or stressed or angry or lonely, what do you seek comfort in? Is it the living fount? Is it spending time with Christ? Or is it something else? You know, maybe if, as I'm just kind of sharing all this, you're just sitting there and like, oh man, I'm really struggling with this. You know, this is like, ah, yep, this is me. I hand up, yeah, this is where I'm at. And I just want to encourage you, if that's you, the best thing you can do is just tell someone and ask them to pray for you. You may be your, your life group leader um, or a trusted friend. You could ask someone also to disciple you in this, to, to read a great book, like Hungering for God, something we've been reading as a pastoral team together, or uh, When I Don't Desire God, or something like that, to help you to grow. Someone who, could, who you see, they're living this, and you're like, I want to be like that, and could you show me how it is to, 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 to learn to love Christ like you love Christ, and ask them to, to really help you and pray for you in this. But when you're tired, stressed, angry, or lonely, what do you seek comfort in? Well, if we're following Jesus... We've got the fount of living water. Friends, I want to encourage you to go to that. But I just want to also just quickly, not just those that are following Christ, but just acknowledge that, you know, maybe you're sitting here and you're not following, following the Lord Jesus. And how do you drink from the fount? And I'd just say, thank you so much for coming. If that's you, if you're visiting today, you don't know the Lord Jesus. The first step is, is really just to acknowledge that thirst, that hidden thirst, just to say, yep, that's me. You know, be honest with yourself. Um, Admit that you're not you're not satisfied. You know you've what you've been seeking it, it hasn't been filling you, and it's been leaving you wanting something else. And and then stop living for that water that doesn't satisfy. Stop living for and orienting your life around family or career or money or a relationship. And receive the Father who's been seeking you. Ask Christ for the living water that satisfies, and He says. I will give it to you. And that simply means to repent, to change your mind about the way you've been living, to turn from it, and to believe in the Lord Jesus, to put your trust in Him. Um, if that's you, I mean, we would love nothing more than to talk more with you about that. Well, over the years, I've met loads of people who have moved here to Sydney from all around the world, and one thing that unites them is that they move here with big hopes for safety and security, for job and career opportunities, for lifestyle and education, for a future for their children. And all these things are wonderful. But they don't satisfy. Our desires are too deep to be satisfied by anything in this world because they've come from the brokenness between us and God. But Jesus offers us an eternal fount for anyone who comes to him in repentance and faith. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy your heart. Friends, I trust you've seen that this morning. Can I pray for you? Let's, let's pray. Well, Jesus, we want to thank you so much for your living, breathing, active word that just changes us, Lord, renews us. And we're so thankful that we've got to hear from you again this morning. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, thank you for your mercy to us. 
that's new and every day. Thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, but you offer us fresh grace every day. And Lord, I just want to come before you and as a church we want to come together and just admit, Lord, we so often look for satisfaction in other things, things that possibly entertain but never satisfy, not like you can. Lord, help us to be an ever-increasing people that enjoy the richness of the fount of living waters that lives within us. Help us to live ever-increasing with thanksgiving to the one who purchased it all for us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.